Picks and Bets presented by Prize Picks. I am Gary and Thorne, and I want to let you guys know you'll be seeing a lot of me, whether or not you want to or not, because on the Mayo Media Network for the 2021 MLB season, we're going to be breaking down every single DFS slate. And I mean every single one. We are going Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. Going through the weekend, too. So it's going to be me, a rotation of other baseball writers you guys know and like. We're going to be knocking them out. Quick quick little videos, 15 to 20 minutes, so very digestible. Uh, everything you need to know for the upcoming slate. And to play on prize picks, which if you guys want to do that, go to prizepicks.com right now. Sign up and use the promo code MMNMLB, and that will get you a match bonus of up to $100 on your first deposit. That's not the only thing you have to do before we get going on today's show, though. You also have to leave a like on this video and leave a comment down below talking about who you think your favorite bounce-back pitcher for the 2021 MLB season is going to be. And after you do that, go over to Apple or wherever you listen to your podcast, but leave us a five-star review. And in that five-star review, I mean, subscribe first, but in that review, leave your Twitter handle or your email and you will be put into a draw for a hundred dollars. That's it. It's not like a hundred dollar gift card or a hundred dollar this. It's literally just like a hundred dollar bill. So I think everyone kind of wants that. But I mentioned we are talking about some pitchers, bounce back pitchers, sleeper pitchers, if you want to put it that way. But we are doing that on this 2021 MLB preview show with Jim Saunas from Number Fire, one of my favorite people to talk to. Jim, how's it going, man? I'm excited, Gary. And, you know, we've got spring training games to watch. I got Byron Buxton back on my computer. So I, I don't watch games on TV because I just, uh, for some reason, MLB doesn't have like a plug-in for the smart TV that I have. So every game is watched on my computer. So it's just Byron Buxton on my computer, I guess, opposed to the TV. But uh, excited to have stuff back percolating. How are you doing? I'm doing really well. It's great talking about baseball again. Uh, great talking to you specifically about baseball. Uh, you know, everyone who watched the rotation back in the day knows how much I enjoy Jim. And uh, I think this is going to be a really good show. So we already talked about, uh, well, depending on which order you're watching these in, but I, I'll, I'll break the fourth wall here. We already talked about bounce back hitters and positional players for the 2021 season. So go check out that video if you haven't yet. It will be in the Fantasy Baseball Picks and Bets feed on YouTube. But we're going to talk about pitchers today. And this was a bit of a more difficult exercise, I'll admit. Um, the difference between how you want to judge the 2020 season for positional players versus pitchers is tough because, you know, as we talk about all the time, some of the numbers normalize a little bit faster when it comes to uh, positional players. Where with pitchers, it was almost like every single starting pitcher was a reliever. And we always talk about relievers in a normal season, like, oh, one or two bad outings. That'll just ruin your entire year. That was every starter last year. I mean, one bad start, and all of a sudden you're looking back at their numbers and going, man, they were bad. And, and, and maybe they weren't that bad. So that's, that's kind of what we're going to try to dive into today with a couple of interesting names. But before we get into specifics, is there a way you're looking at pitchers coming off that weird truncated 2020 season, Jim? Yeah, I think that you need to dive into the deeper numbers because with pitcher, like for me personally, I am comfortable making assumptions and changes to my my priors on pitchers based off of like 
one or two starts. I know that's probably aggressive and probably leads me about a uh, very bad pass like Irma Marquez a couple years ago, but like, hey, you know, whatever mistakes were made. Uh, but I'm very okay drawing, you know, takeaways from small samples on pitchers. Like, very, very comfortable with that. Um, it's probably like, you know, the DFS player in me, like talking, like I like small samples for pitchers because things like swinging strike rate, strikeout rate, they stabilize so quickly that I feel like we actually can learn quite a bit from these smaller samples. So to me, I think that I can feel pretty definitive with pitchers. Whereas with hitters, like a lot of guys we discussed, it's like, eh, you know, more wishy-washy. It could happen. It could not. With pitchers, I'm like, okay, I know this is a fluke. I don't care. Let's dive back in. I'll feel good. Just a confidence level of pitcher for me is higher than it is a hitter. Well, I mean, who among us hasn't in a normal year, uh, let's say like 2016, for instance, going into the 2016 drafts, who among us hasn't gone to fan graphs, punched in second half statistics for pitchers and just gone, oh, who had a really high strikeout rate that I could maybe grab in like the 13th <laughs> round? Like, I think is that we godly? Are. Cool. Um, so there's going to be some of that. There's going to be some looking back across large samples and saying like what has changed about this particular player and the pitchers too there's i guess there's some more dead giveaways if you want to say it like that when it comes to positional players like if you're just someone who's lost a bunch of velocity that's a pretty big red flag and, and maybe that's something that can't just be explained away uh by a small 2020 season or maybe it can because we didn't have proper spring training leading up to those first couple starts there's a lot going on here so let's let's dive in and the first guy we're going to talk about a uh, really interesting name because he's someone who we don't have a large history with. We don't have an established relationship with Chris Paddock beyond the last two seasons. Right now, he's going just outside the top 100 in NFBC formats, pick 110 on the nose. Last year, 59 innings, 4.73 ERA, 5.02 FIP. And the reason that FIP was over five, FIP hates home runs. And Chris Paddock last season loved giving up home runs, 2.5. One four home runs per nine. His chase rate fell. Uh, opponents just matched his fastball. Uh, 370 opponent isolated power on his fastball. When you're someone like Paddock, who has a really good fastball, that's a little concerning, uh, especially considering how good he looked in 2019 when he was a rookie. And it, it kind of made you think like, wow, this, this could be someone who we're taking inside the top 10, top 15 uh, of, of starting pitchers for the next 10 15 years. So what do you kind of take away from that 2020 season with Paddock and do maybe some of the positives of just like playing for the Padres in 2021 outweigh some of the risk factors of a bad season last year? Yeah, I think the home run rate can't stay as high as it was. I think that's the first thing in favor of Chris Paddock is like, you couldn't, you couldn't try to have a home run number that large and duplicate that. I think that's a really good thing. Also, his ground ball rate went up. It was 47% yeah. last year versus 40% the year before. That's a plus for him. And honestly, I think like his curveball was bad. And I was excited that he was going to try that curveball because you hear that he's going to add a third pitch. Maybe that can take him from being, you know, a 26% strikeout rate guy to being 30% it didn't work. It was quite bad. And he ditched it. If you look at him after he ditched that curveball, though, a 26% strikeout rate, 6% walk rate. That is the Chris Paddock that we knew from the days before there was still hard contact. And I think that's, you know, it's, it's concerning for sure. But when I see a 26% strikeout rate, a 6% walk rate, 47% ground ball rate, and those are all from last year where he had those issues. I'm going to buy in every time. Now the ADP for Chris Paddock is not super low. Like you're not, the public isn't totally off this guy, no. 
But I still think that it's low enough where I will be in on him, despite the fact we're not getting a big discount. I think that there are enough reasons to buy back in. I think that uh, the upside for him, if that home run rate does come back down, is very high. I think that there's reason to think that it will. So to me, I think that where he's going is very fair. It's very reasonable. And he's someone I, I am okay taking in that range. Even though I think that there are some good options in that range too, I think he's one of those good options. Yeah, he's someone who could definitely benefit uh, from the new baseball. And, yeah. and we don't really have all the data yet on how that's going to impact pitchers and hitters this season. But if we are to believe baseball, who is trying to be very transparent <laughs> this time about the changing of the baseball, they want to cut down on ball flight. So with the natural regression of Chris Paddock's just not going to give up more than two home runs per nine across a full season, uh, maybe he gets some help there. Win expectancy is going to be super high pitching for the Padres. That's really nice too. Uh, and I don't know, I, I guess we are at the point where if you're going to be a two pitch pitcher pitch for the Padres, because everything I know about two pitch pitchers, not being able to work as starters, uh, Chris Paddock and Nelson Lamette keep telling me, no, we can do this. It's fine. So uh, <laughs> I guess there's just something in the water there. Right. Exactly. That's reassuring for sure. Uh, Patrick Corbin. So it's funny. We, I didn't do this on purpose. I kind of just realized this as I was kind of putting these names together later and looking up some stats, but uh, I mentioned this in the hitter show, Jim and I have a weird affinity for uh, like the 2016, 17 Arizona diamondbacks. Uh, Patrick Corbin. I mean, he might be my favorite fantasy baseball pitcher. If I'm just being completely honest, like he was mm -hmm. someone who I, I just enjoy drafting. He's so good. Generally speaking, uh, he's, he's led me to a lot of fantasy baseball happiness. Yeah. Um, last season was not a good year yep. for Patrick Corbin, and he finished it with 65 and two thirds innings pitched, a 4.66 ERA, and most concerning of all, a 20.3% strikeout rate. Uh, his fastball velocity fell down to 90.7 miles per hour on average, and the whiff rate on his slider, it's, it's funny, the whiff rate was 20%, which in a vacuum, cool. That's a nice whiff rate on a pitch. Not if you're Patrick Corbin's slider. That's supposed to be one of the best whiff pitches in all of baseball. And that number was a career low. So you start kind of thinking like maybe there was some validity uh, to this career, not career low strikeout rate, but this lowered strikeout rate down around 20%. There's some reason to be optimistic. BAPIP was high, whatever, small samples in this. But how much of a worry is the arsenal right now and, and the loss of velocity because he's not old, but mm -hmm. we are getting into a range where we've seen this happen with other left-handed pitchers. Maybe left-handed pitchers we'll talk about a little bit later. Yeah. And I think that with, uh, with Patrick Corbin, the concern is that he does have injuries in his past and maybe those have had wear and tear on him and stuff like that. That's always a concern for sure. I think the, the interesting thing with Corbin is that we've seen his velocity go down in the past. It was not like for a full season. There were like stretches in, I think, 2019 where his fastball velocity went down a lot. And it was very concerning that this was happening, but then it suddenly bounced back. So the question with Patrick Corbin is, was he having another one of those weird stretches where his velocity just goes down only to have it bounce back later on? Right. I think that's a possibility. He's also working on adding a cutter. And if he can have, you know, we always see the tunneling gifts on Twitter. If he can make that, that tunneling with the cutter and the slider work really well together, that could be enticing too. The problem is, unlike with Chris Paddock, I don't think we're getting enough of a discount here to offset the concerns around Patrick Corbin. I think there is a very real possibility he bounces back because again, the velocity could come back. We've seen that happen with him before. I think this new cutter could be pretty interesting too, but I just don't feel like we're getting a big enough discount on him. So 
there is a very real scenario in which Patrick Corbin bounces back. And I, I'd be ecstatic. I agree with you. He's really fun. I've benefited from him a lot throughout my life and I'd love to see him be good again, but I don't know if that's enough at his current cost. I, I think I'm taking too much of a leap of faith to take him at his current, where his current ADP is to justify it. So although I think there are definitely reasons to be there and like, if he comes out in his first couple of starts and even if the velocity is not there, if he can get some whiffs, Right. I'll buy back in then, maybe make some trade offers right away, benefit off the small samples then. But I think at least for preseason stuff based on his current ADP, it's tough for me to get there just because there are enough red flags where the current draft slot is a bit too rich for me. Yeah, it is interesting as we kind of go case to case with both positional players and pitchers, who really soured themselves in the eyes of the yeah. public. And obviously, you know, Corbin was someone going inside the top 100 last season. He's someone who's gone as high as like, top 75 top 60 in the past so this is clearly a downgrade from where he was going but i was expecting more i think i think we all kind of have that list in our head before yeah. we start seeing actual yep. adp of oh maybe i could snag this guy like 180th overall or something like that and it was like oh he's still going top 150 okay yeah. <laughs> interesting and there's a lot of name value there and i think a lot of people feel that way about corbin they, they feel the same way that we feel about corbin where uh you know he's just done it for you before and I think in a, in a really weird sense, you can almost just write off the Nationals as a whole last year and say, Corbin was bad, the team was bad, you know, the wins will come back, et cetera, et cetera. But um, I'm with you. I would, I would have liked to have seen a little bit more of a discount to be able to buy back in. Okay, let's get into complete flyer, sleeper sort of territory here with some of these bounce back guys. Matthew Boyd, uh, if you are a DFS writer, you have written about Matthew Boyd quite a bit the last couple of seasons. He is just someone who, at the end of the day, is enticing. He's got an enticing archetype because the strikeout rate has the potential to be so, so high. 2019, 30.7% strikeout rate, 3.88 XFIP. He's got the ability to have two elite swing and miss pitches with both his slider and his changeup. And generally speaking, that's all I'm looking for in a fantasy pitcher, but so much more comes with Matthew Boyd because he's had, I mean, it's, it's, it's a longer career than I think a lot of people realize at this point, but he's just had such ups and downs. And 2020 was obviously a down 60 and a third innings pitched 6.17 ERA. And another guy who was just plagued by the long ball, 2.24 home runs per nine going outside the top 300 right now. I mean, is this as simple as just, I said the word 30% strikeout rate and going outside the top 300. And now there's just like no risk with Matthew Boyd. Yeah. I think that there is minimal risk, which is good. Uh, it's always a good thing for sure. But I think with him, there are, there are some pretty concerning things. And also like, if you, this shocked me when I was looking, you know, doing the research after you sent me the names, he's never had an ERA lower than 4.39 for a full season. And yeah. like, that's America's well, is, is a hitter's park, Jim. We know. Right. That. Exactly. Obviously. Yeah. The, the center field's so short. Um, but like, it was weird to me to see that because I have this positive view of him in my mind because of the strikeouts and I love strikeouts. I'll happily sell my soul for strikeouts for sure. But last year, it seems as if he changed. It seemed like as if he was actively saying, okay, I'm sick of going four shutout innings and then letting up six home runs in the fifth because I was very sick of that too. And it seemed like he was trying to cut down the strike or, you know, cut down the bat at ball numbers in exchange for having a lower strikeout rate. The strikeout rate did go down. So, you know, check that box. 
but his barrel rate actually went up, which seems less than ideal. So that's the concern. And that's why, you know, I can see the, I can see the, the downside sticking, but you look at uh, spring training stuff and you see that Matthew Boyd may have changed his release point. And honestly, like with a guy who has shown the ability to get strikeouts, like he can, like, why not make a change? Why not see what you can do? Because it's so broken right now. Why wouldn't you alter something and see if you can get, you know, some more downward movement, keep the ball on the ground a bit more, maybe keep that strikeout rate. So with where Matthew Boyd is currently going, I'm fine taking him just because like you said, if it doesn't work, who cares? Cut bait, uh, and you toss him back in the pool. I'm okay doing that. I think if I'd, I'd prefer to have the ability to keep him on my bench for a couple of starts first, to kind of see where things are and then ride him after that. Uh, and I think that, that's why I want to handle things. Take a wait and see approach, have him on my team, but not use him right away just to see how things play out. See if this change that he's made to is his approach can, can work out. I think there are enough reasons to be interested that I'll be there, but because the issues that he's had have been so, you know, bad and they've been there for so long, I will be very okay cutting bait if, if it doesn't look good from a peripheral perspective early on. Yeah, I guess that's a really interesting point and an important point to make when we talk about, you know, late round flyers and, and, and people going outside the top 300. You can draft them. That's easy enough to actually put Matthew Boyd into your lineup one week, lock yeah. him in there and say, I'm going to put Matthew Boyd out for two starts this week. Let's see what happens. That's risky. That, that takes some cojones. So I, I think I like your approach there. And another thing that's kind of interesting when it comes to Matthew Boyd, and, and this is something that is kind of specific to, well, pitchers from two divisions. Um, and I know it's it's being used a lot to kind of downgrade someone like Trevor Bauer, uh, who we look at his numbers and look, there's a lot of reasons to dislike Trevor Bauer. We don't have to get to right now. <laughs> um, but when it comes to his ADP, we get a lot of talk about, well, go through his schedule. Talk about who he actually had to face in his 12 starts last year. Or maybe, maybe it was 13, but, you know, he faced two above average offenses, I think, by the end of the regular season. That was the same for Matthew Boyd. Matthew Boyd just had this terrible year pitching against the AL and NL Central. Uh, I don't know how much I want to hold that against the guy because, again, I just think there's a lot of upside here for a, a pretty cheap price tag. But I don't know. To, to be that bad and then have the schedule be so much right. in your favor. I know he didn't get to pitch against the Tigers, which would have helped. <laughs> but uh, I don't know. That's, that's, that's kind of a rough look, too. Well, the other part too is like when you're thinking about the AL Central for a lefty, you're thinking, okay, the Twins are good against lefties, the White Sox are good against lefties. If he had faced those two teams a lot, you could see that being a justification. But uh, four out of his twelve starts were against one of those two teams. That's not an excuse. Like that doesn't count as being an out for him. So yeah, I think that's a very legitimate thing to bring up too. And the blowups, I think, it was like the Brewers, who granted were better against lefties last season. The Pirates tagged them for seven runs. How does that even happen? I don't even know. I don't even need to know where that game was because whether it was in Comerica or PM, doesn't matter. It been a good game. Um, so anyway, I'm, I'm sure I lost money. I don't remember it now, but I'm sure I lost DFS money uh, that particular day on Matthew Boyd. Uh, the last guy uh, sticking with with left-handers, a lot of left-handers on this list. Um, Madison Bumgarner. I think it's just interesting to talk about him in the sense that in a lot of leagues right now, you don't even have to draft Mad Bum. He's going to be sitting on your waiver wire. Um, and, and maybe that changes with how we've maybe seen him pitch in spring training. It's only one start as of this recording. Uh, we'll talk about that in a second. But his 2020 numbers, 41 and two-thirds innings, 7.18 FIP, 
2.8 opponent home runs per nine. Um, I think we all assumed when Bumgarner left San Francisco that it was not going to go well. Then he signed in Arizona, and we were like, ooh, all right, sure, uh, get your money, good for you. Um, the weird thing about his 2019, and that's really when he started losing velocity on both his fastball and his cutter, um, he only pitched well in San Francisco. That was about the only place you could use him, and then you take that entirely out of the equation when he leaves San Francisco. So already a red flag, but I, I don't think anyone was – for, for everyone out there who was saying don't buy Madison Bumgarner in 2020, even the most staunch Bar- Bumgarner hater would never have expected three home runs per nine and a FIP above seven. So he's going to get better. I think we can both agree on that. Um, but will he get good enough where it matters, I guess, is the question. And I will say, so that cutter velocity, 83.7 miles per hour average in the cutter last year, which is... I think it was a four mile per hour drop in average velocity from where it was in 2019, which was already a drop from where it was when we were talking about like mad bum coming out of the bullpen for game seven world series kind of version of this guy, but did have reports reports being the key word of higher velocity in his first start of spring training. So maybe he is one of those guys who we go through a normal spring um, and maybe he's a little bit better. Like maybe we can actually say that, Bob Garner got the short end of the stick from the weird summer camp. We're starting the season on July 24th uh, kind of rigmarole from last season. Yeah. There was actually a story that said exactly that, like almost verbatim that came out on Sunday or Saturday or something like that. Like over the weekend, there was a report saying, Hey, mad bum got thrown off by the schedule. And it's like, okay, cool. Let's buy in. But in that story, I was reading through it and they were saying, you know, look at his, his starts at the end of the year, his fat or his, his velocity went back up and he got better results. I'm like, okay, cool. Let's go check this out. Went over there, checked out his numbers. The velocity was better than it had been previously. That's not saying a whole lot, uh, but it still wasn't as good as 2019. In those final two starts where the results were better, his swinging striker was 7.5%. It was 7.6% before that. So the results were better, but I don't want to buy into results from a two-start sample. I want to buy into peripherals, and the peripherals, eh, well, you know, kind of whatever. I think that the best case scenario for Baumgartner is he goes back to 2019 form. And I don't mean like ERA 2019 form. I mean like skill interactive ERA 2019 form, which is a 4.15 skill interactive ERA, 24% strikeout rate. So you ask yourself, what is that worth in Arizona? Probably about a four-ish ERA. That's not great. Like it's fine. But like, I think that there are other guys going in his range who have a better ceiling, a better realistic outcome than Madison Bumgarner do. Like, you know, his teammate Merrill Kelly actually had about a 24% strikeout rate, a better skill interactive ERA than Bumgarner had in 2019 and gets a couple more ground balls, doesn't walk a lot of guys. Like he's kind of like a right-handed Bumgarner on the same team in the same park going to pick 394. Like, you know, job security may not be as high because, you know, it's Madison Bumgarner. But I I think that there are other late round guys whose best case scenario is better than Bumgarner's. So although the odds he's a serviceable pitcher this year gets you some innings is pretty high, I think I'd rather take swings elsewhere. Like Matthew Boyd, like, you know, maybe the strikeout rate comes through. Maybe you can be a contributor in that category. I don't know if Bumgarner will be a contributor in any category outside of maybe just being a volume guy, which is fine, but like whatever. So I think I'd rather take swings elsewhere. 
just because like his best case scenario is kind of okay, you know, whatever. Uh, and I think there are other late round guys I could go to who have a better true ceiling outcome than Bumgarner. Well, it's interesting. I mean, I'll, I'll ask you to take off your fantasy baseball analyst hat for a moment and put on your psychologist hat for a moment. Um, but we, we kind of talked about this when it came to Boyd. Like, it's not just drafting a guy. It's then drafting a guy and putting him to your lineup. Yeah. There's more than just drafting when it comes to lineup construction. The interesting thing I find with Bumgarner, and, you know, maybe this is giving him too much credit. Maybe this is, you know, he's always been linked to Clayton Kershaw. That's just something you can't really get away from, considering where they spent most of their careers, how many opening days they pitched against each other, et cetera, et cetera. But we have seen some pitchers have the ability, these, these elite pitchers, to sort of reconstruct themselves and, and, and find it again when we didn't think they would. I mean, it, it's crazy now to even think about conversations we were having in 2014, 2015 about Justin Verlander and whether or not yeah. he was done. So I, I know the velocity is not there the same as it was with Verlander. It doesn't have exactly the same toolkit, but let's even say there's a 10% chance that Madison Bumgarner hits his 100th percentile this season. Do you maybe are you maybe more inclined to spend that late round pick on a on someone like Bumgarner, knowing he has that name cachet, and that if he has anything good happen to him, he's going to be picked up off the waiver wire instantly. Like he's not a guy who you can be right. to the party to get. Someone right. will get him because he's Madison Bumgarner. Do you maybe take a chance with him in that sense because there are just going to be other guys who you'll have more time with on the waiver wire? Well, I think that, yeah, it also depends on your league. Because if you're in a very active league, where who will actually trade? Because like I'm in a lot of leagues where people just don't trade, right. which is super annoying. But if you're in a league that actually will trade, you can probably bank off the name value of Madison Bumgarner, and that could be a good thing. So I think that that is a worthwhile consideration, and that's a good thing. The concern that I have with Bumgarner is what is his 100th percentile outcome in yeah. Arizona specifically? Because his 100th percentile outcome in San Francisco is obviously very good. I think in, in Arizona, it's very different. So that's like, again, it's not with the humidor there. It's not as bad as it used to be, but like it's a lot different than San Fran, which is the best park in all of baseball for pitchers. So I think that my view is of his 100th percentile outcome. It's just kind of like, I think it, it's just fine. And I think that that's the reason why I'd be okay not being there. But again, if you have a very active league and you can flip him after a couple of good starts, that's a scenario where I could see myself being very in on the Bumgarner market. I just don't happen to play in a lot of those leagues where people actually will entertain the idea of making one trade throughout the season. Well, that is Jim Sonis, senior writer and analyst for Number Fire. Uh, hit him up on Twitter at Jim Sonis. Let him know if you have a league where trades are active. <laughs> Invite me. <laughs> do that at the very least for this man. Uh, Jim, thank you so much for taking the time as always. Uh, let the people know where they can find you. Well, thank you, Gary. And it was a lot of fun to swing on by and chat. Looking forward to uh, MLB season. I am on the Number Fire Daily Fantasy podcast. We got baseball there starting opening day. We got NASCAR, PGA, uh, and uh, NHL and NBA as well. So a lot of stuff over there. I'll be there with baseball, doing golf, and NASCAR as well. And looking forward to listening to you this spring as well. It should be fun. Yeah, and just for anyone uh, who maybe fast-forwarded off the top and, and got right to the player analysis, uh, over here at Mayo Media Network, we will be doing a daily fantasy baseball uh, podcast, Hidden DFS, and that will be seven days a week. Uh, we're also going to do the weekends on that one, so it'll be me and a couple of the writers. We'll kind of rotate around, uh, each have our little days there. I'm, I'm sure you guys will pick up on the pattern pretty soon, uh, pretty quickly, but that's going to start opening day, so make sure to subscribe. 
to Mayo Media Network. Uh, like this video, leave a comment down below. Tell us what you think about Madbum. Tell us who you think is going to be the bounce back pitcher of 2021. And also head over to prizepicks.com. Use the promo code MMNMLB, and that will get you up to a $100 match bonus on your first deposit over there and have some fun DFS games that you can play at PrizePix. I want to thank Jim one more time. I want to thank you guys for watching today's episode of Fantasy Baseball Picks and Bets presented by PrizePix. I'm Gary Thorne. We'll catch you next time.